0: podcast is part of the sports social podcast network. I fucking hate every single person on this podcast, including myself. Yeah. In fact, I might hate me the most. But right now, I hate you three.
1: That self-hate is crazy. Maybe you need to unpack that.
2: here goes. Hello and welcome to Played in Full. And what a lovely intro from everyone that was. I'm gonna keep all of that in, by the way. Just because I think the audience needs to know how much we hate each other before we start this off.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I'm happy for them to know that I only come here and turn up
3: to do this pod out of love for them. <laughs> well all the way to Barbie. So that's what they need to know.
2: Well, as you can probably guess, it's a full house this week. Everyone's back in action. And I'm your host Ross Taylor and uh, joining me in this full house we've got a guy who is going to get kicked out of his book clubs because whatever bookshare he's doing is unacceptable and that's Jude and Jude if you want to set that context I think that would be a good idea. <laughs>
1: oh, I really don't know what to say. That is extremely loud, however... Yeah, man. Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm well. I feel like I'm in a really good creative zone and space right now. So I'm keeping that that going. And apparently, my friends like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't look at that uh, as any type of thing. But yeah, man, I'm good, man. Life is actually looking up. I feel like I've most of the episodes I've come on and expressed some kind of anger. My Fellow compatriot, in the diagonal sense of the screen, might be expressing right now. But you yes. call
0: your fucking compatriot. I don't know <laughs> you. What the fuck?
3: <laughs> what yeah. I'll, I'll I'll pan the um. I'll play the gun shots Go on. Yeah, well, no. Let me, let, me, let, let me finish
1: this shit. Yeah, no. I'm just saying. I, I just feel like that's normally my energy, but today I'm on the opposite side of the spectrum, the emotional. Spectrum. so
2: yeah man i'm good i feel great and uh just for the listeners at home the person in Judas diagonal right now is uh a man who's always late so i call him the uh human pregnancy test it's scully
0: <laughs> can we get the fuck on with this podcast please
1: What happened to you today,
0: I Nothing. You I doing? really just don't want to talk to you guys. Like, that's all there is. Oh, <laughs> really? Right. That's, that's the day was completely fine. It was all right. I had some fruitful meetings. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. So, man's just, just here for the film talk, not even the people. Yes. Not, no, I, I don't
0: want to talk to anybody. Yeah, I hear it. I hear it. Can I just say, actually, I was the first one in this link waiting for all of you, even though know. Ross started the fucking link, yeah? No, I was well, down here. You might have been in here, but me and you were in here. Yeah, we were in here. <laughs> so, yeah, get the fuck out of
2: here. I checked my yeah. message and you were waiting for a sweet potato, so I left. Yeah, I like, I'm not at, quarter to, I'm not, I'm at back. quarter to ten. At quarter to ten. Yeah, no, that's hilarious. And last but not least, it's CJ, who at the moment seems to be avoiding all the conflict, which is a surprise, admittedly.
3: I'm creeping all the way to um Barbie. I'm calling it but, Carby because I'm a, because I don't say bees.
1: You know what? You know what I think he did. You know, like in in wrestling when like the the unformed wrestler waits to come out last. Yeah, he tried to appear like thirtieth in a Royal Rumble. That's why he didn't say anything. You clock it. He wasn't. He wasn't trying to respond. He wasn't trying to engage. Come on, man. That's what I do here. That's
3: what I do best. Anyway, I am CJ Edwards. I am from Birmingham. Um. And I'm the funniest person on this part. I just put that out there.
1: Well, you say you're from Birmingham every pod. Maybe, does it? maybe
3: they... mentally funny. It's yeah. it's a, it's a it's a character like it's it's a part of my perso- persona. You get me? Um that's it's your whole your, personality. There you go. Just just an accent. That's all I am. Um. But yeah. Do you say you're How the diversity we, hire? Shut up, bro. How are you, Russ? Because I don't care about Scully. How are you? I'm Russ? all right.
2: I'm not too bad. Wait, wait,
1: wait. Uh, I'm not going to unpack that. I'm going to just leave that there. But you know what I was going to say by the way I said wait three times.
0: CJ still being a racist.
2: Well, <laughs> on that note, yeah, we. Need as to you start. can tell, there's clearly a little bit of friction in this podcast today, but not as much friction as there is between SAG-AFTRA and the studios. Because
0: Hollywood that, that is shut down. That was the worst <laughs> segment I think I've ever had. It was so uh, bad, it was good. <laughs> hey yo, hey yo. There's no friction between me and other men. I just want to put that out.
3: <laughs> yeah, better, but, yeah, like, yeah. I would just. Not wanna, what I had. This is all for for the games. It's all for promo. Like like uh, Jude said, I'm a WWE wrestler. I have nothing but love and admiration for Scully, Jude, and Russ. And everyone else in played in full family. So yeah, I was gonna say the
1: same, but that would have been a lie. So anyway, That's yeah, was as, as right. Rob, the strikes, yeah. man, like this is this is getting serious, guys.
3: Steven Spielberg admitted it, man. He, 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 I mean, predicted it. Sorry, come on, we knew this day was coming.
1: Yeah,
3: I feel like
0: it was exacerbated. I feel the strikes have been exacerbated. By the fact the leak of the Disney CEO coming out and saying, Okay, yeah, it doesn't really matter. We're just gonna wait till everyone gets broken, has to sell their houses and then we'll go back to normal. And it's like you can't take that position of arrogance when people are struggling to feed their family to pay their rent or mortgages, all of these type of things. Like, especially when you are either already or on course to become a billionaire, you take home like what, nine figures a year? Yeah. And you're laughing at the idea that, oh, yeah, these people will eventually have to give up their morals and ethics because they'll be so hungry and also broke. They have no option but to work for us. Like, I really think if he hadn't said that, SAG wouldn't have drained the writers. The actors would have kind of just let the writers cook for a little bit and then thought, "Mm, yeah, okay, they're doing their thing. Because he was so arrogant as to go... On well, he wasn't even on wax. I don't think he knew people would report that, but because he was so arrogant as to say it, I think the actors in solidarity said, "You know what? We have to stand up together and be like, let's stop this shit," because it would have affected the actors eventually too.
2: Was it Bob Iger who said that? Though, because I thought there was more. That was just like leaked as just like the um, almost kind of like all the studio heads together. That was like the combined opinion. Because then Bob Iger did that interview where he's talking about um, more the fact that his comment was the actors and the writers being unrealistic about what they want so the kind of the compensation that they should be getting I guess the rejection of AI they're saying they're being unrealistic and that they need to be in the real world while he sits on 27 million a year David Zaslav at Warner Bros who's basically completely eviscerating that company he's selling off all 100 years of music he's basically destroying the studio he's the one who kind of Shut down HBO Max. and just kind of give him that name the ma, you know, just as Max because he didn't want the HBO focus anymore. Um, he's on a hundred million a year.
3: 100 I
2: think, million, is his figure. Yeah. Hundred million a year. And, but then it's the, really it's the writers and the actors. Yeah, it's the it's the writers and the actors yeah. who are unrealistic and need to set their bar lower.
1: Their greed knows no bounds. And you know what's even like funny about this? Like I've been just like looking at the different kind of reactions of the strikers on ground. And there was this one um, striker, I forgot his name, but um, it was like a YouTube reel. And he was basically saying that we need like, a breakdown of why we're striking. We're trying to fight for like the survival of TV writing as a career, as film writing, as a career, like especially when it comes yeah. to writers rooms and stuff. And it's like, the writers rooms are being replaced and kind of shunned by the the streamers and the studios who are trying to make fast work of the work that they actually do. And it's like, not only, it's not only damaging the craft, but as you guys were saying, like, it's affecting living standards. And if, like, streaming has presented a whole new side of things and a lot of these shows aren't getting so much TV play, then these writers are just losing out on so much money. And another thing that the studios are doing is they're basically trying to transform TV writing from, you know, like fully working on a, a TV show to maybe working on like a rough idea in a draft for that to be then given to maybe a select few writers who are in-house part of the studio so they can work on it, complete it. And then it totally eliminates the TV writer from the whole process. and. I even looked at that and saw kind of similarities with that and the uh, the media slash publishing industry. How um is it the New Yorker? Um I forgot. There's like a publication that is a section is being shut
2: down. I think it might be the sports. I think Isn't it was, it? The, I think, the, I think quite a few kind of like, especially in the States, kind of like, yeah, empires and yeah, they're being Henry's did that, but I definitely think the New Yorker is one of them. Wasn't yeah. it Conde Nast? Wasn't like another one that got yeah. into like a lot of it kind of re- in the last couple of years, kind yes, of like
1: studios and literally outsourcing content now. Like, I think the New Yorker, because the athletic comes under New Yorker, it's like now they're going to be doing all of their sports content. So they don't have to have that in-house tradition of working on that anymore, and those are some of the most legendary kind of pieces. So these types of writers are all missing out on not only a bag, but a type of bag that they've trained for, and some that have trained for like twenty plus years to be TV writers and now suddenly their careers being swept under their their feet.
2: It's very it's very dark. It's also very interesting to see you know especially because you if you take someone like disney and bob iger and obviously all the comments that he's kind of made against writers and actors and basically positioning the blame on them and not suggesting that him and other execs take fairly big pay cuts you know they're kind of now using their sort of media arms so abc news and things like that were kind of talking about today the fact that all of these popular shows aren't coming back because it's the writers and you know putting releasing these stories and basically these hit pieces to try and get fans and audiences to turn against the creative people behind their shows, um, as a kind of just a way to kind of get at them. Cause they know that eventually, you know, it, for example, you've got all the kind of like the leaked footage and the kind of the set photos from Deadpool 3. And that's starting to kind of creep up a little bit. And they're kind of saying, oh, that's now shut down because of SAG and because of the writers guild. So if you're missing all those kind of like cool set pictures of Hugh Jackman in his yellow outfit, that's because the writers are being assholes and they won't accept a, a lower pay. And you know, it's 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 bizarre the fact that you know these massive kind uh, of companies looking, based on that they need it can just do that. Bro, and they can the, use their own other kind of channels just to obliterate them.
1: Well, he was looking crazy in some of them shots. Like he looked. It looked mad. It looked rough. I miss. I miss just not seeing able to this stuff. Like some is cool. Like when you know, like yeah, this is probably like the main actor for this mm. show. But again, yeah, like we were saying last week um, or the week before, rather, we don't really appreciate the fact that we basically see the entirety of the film in the BTS, in yep. the trailers, yeah. in those interviews. It's like, bro, uh, Wolverine appearing without a word, would have been 10 times more impactful than just knowing that he's he's in it. Like, it's lost that element of surprise. I've, al-
3: I've already said, I think, what they should do is ban phones within a certain radius of the film, Like, 20-mile radius or something like that. Like, it's just something,
1: because it's... Sorry to cut you off, CJ, but you know they're using drones now. I swear? Yeah, people have been going onto set using drones... With their cameras and taking like pictures for of like different sets, so some leaks have forgot oh, the specific one. But they're using drones now because uh, like
2: it would just be impossible to enforce because like yeah, you know well, well, for them to shoot in big locations, they have to kind of get so many permits just to kind of close down like a section of a street, for example. So there's yeah. no chance in hell. That's why you know they say kind of a lot of the, like the Disney movies and stuff and like all the Marvel films, they tend to be shot on studios rather than on location because you can put the green screen in the background, filter in whatever you, you want, but you know, it's a closed set. So you know that if anything does leak, you've got that. Okay, great. There were 50 people on the set that day. It's one of that 50. We're going to find out who it is.
3: Yeah. Um, Let's get and, the fog leak guys. Uh, do you know what it is as well? I, I, um, it was the. Did you see the, the the picture of like the corroded 20th, uh, 20th century Fox logo? Deadpool three. Did you see that? That's when I pulled it. I was like, "This would have been great to see, like, in the film, just una- unaware or, do you know what yeah. I mean?" But now that it's there. It's like it's ruined the element of surprise. Like, I'm not too fussed about the Hugh Jackman thing. I think, um, when they explained it, I think I think that was needed. Um, you know, because a lot of fans with Logan and stuff like that, Logan being the film, uh, like one of the one of the best superhero films of this superhero era that we're in in cinema. Um, I think it was needed for him to say, look, it's not, it's, it's within this timeline, so it doesn't affect Logan. It's blah, blah. Like, I think that was needed. But yeah, I still agree. Hugh Jackman looks... Doesn't look great in, in, in that Wolverine costume. But to, to
0: Ross's point, to Ross's point, I think, and back to the I think the CEOs and the people in charge of these corporations trying to blame and shuffle the blame down To what's going on with filming, writing, producing all of these films with the strikes will essentially be an ineffective method of uh, an ineffective method of passing the blame because the reality is at this stage, the cost of living crisis is affecting nearly everybody. Like nearly everybody on some level. Like it's actually quite scary. It's scary how much money can is being spent to maintain an average quality of life and I think that the average everyday person is going to see more in common with the screenwriters and the actors who are posting their residual checks for 27 dollars and the like done with the CEO who is bringing home 27 million like the reality is you are not relatable to us Bob Iger you're not like Somebody who is working every day to get by is far more gonna be able to reach the people and have more common with the people. And I think there is an element of um socialization that we get put through, right? Like we're actually supposed to aspire to be billionaires and to see things in common with them and to take what they say at face value and to be like, Well, you know, this person said this, so I believe that. Elon Musk said, this is the reason why COVID happened. So I'm going to take that at face value. Like, you're actually socialised to think in that way. However, I think one of the good things about the internet is we're way more socially aware of the level. And I think we have more knowledge of what is putting us in certain positions and how we can get out of certain positions. I think people are going to look at the strike that Amazon had and see that as a major win for the working class man. They're going to see the actors and writing strike because this can go on for a while, but I think ultimately Hollywood will have to bow to the demands of the strikers and writers.
2: Oh, hundred percent.
0: And I think my my hope is, my hope is that people just see this movement full stop and use it as a jumping point as a launchpad and be like, Hey, yo, maybe we can all affect real change in different areas.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and at the end of the day though, like I think the point you make that's kind of, the most important there is that a lot of people are currently seeing what the studios are doing, saying, you know, we're going to wait until people lose their houses or can't afford to feed their kids. And then we'll make a deal. They know it won't get that far because now that the actors are on strike. So I think for the Writers Guild and the Actors Guild to be on strike at the same time, I think that they said that the last time that happened, Ronald Reagan was not, I don't even think he was even president. You I think he was like- kind of head... He was, he was an actor head the of the time. studio. So he yeah, was he head, was of, head of like um like I guess whatever the guild was for actors at the time. So you know that's how far back we're talking about when the last time this sort of thing happened. Um and you know, you just have to look at the numbers for the studios, and they're gonna be panicking because you know, at this point, they basically kind of say if they don't get a deal done, at least with the actors, but really with both before Christmas. That means there's going to be no real new, new shows next year, apart from stuff that was already in post production or stuff that was already in the can. So that means if you are, let's say, a Netflix or a Disney Plus, that means your subscribers numbers are going to take a massive hit because, oh, hang on, Netflix has not released anything new for a year. Why would I still pay my fifteen pound a month, whatever it is, or if you're in the states, like you're eighteen dollars a month? So they're going to start hemorrhaging people and like money and subscribers. And they're going to be in a position where they're going to have to give people what they want. And, you know, and I think to your point as well, like the fact that, you know, when we talk about kind of equality and fairness, that kind of clip of Sean Gunn um, kind of explaining very kind of coherently and very efficiently, you know, what the problem is. And it's the same thing, you know, like we see in the UK, like with housing, you know, he was kind of saying back in the day, the kind of like the average actor might be on a, a salary that's like seven times less than what the CEO makes or kind of like what the averages are, but now it's 30 times difference. You know, and that is just unsustainable, kind of just as a practice in a business model. And it's the same thing like you see with other cost of living kind of crises. Same thing like with the housing crisis here. It's a similar kind of model that it just means that it's a bubble that will burst. But I guess for streaming, if that bubble bursts, what does that mean for the future of Hollywood? So it's kind of an interesting time to kind of see this happen because if the studios keep stay greedy and refuse to try and make a deal we could just see Hollywood implode and you see like Mark Ruffalo today calling a lot on actors to kind of do more independent stuff. So working with companies and production houses that aren't kind of like major studios, they are more independent, maybe trying to get deals with them so they can still make content and release it within the next year. It's just not hitting the kind of big hitters, let's say. So it's, I think it's kind of a, a really interesting time to be part, seeing that industry and, um, which way it goes I, I, I don't know uh, you I'm it's on the great side for this podcast now, same with everyone but
0: it's great for this podcast it means this this time next year everyone can tune in every week to just hear us how insult to each other and hate for like an hour and then say goodbye like that will be uh, what the
3: entire podcast is. how long do you think this at these strikes will go on for like?
2: They could go to the, they 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 think because you know if you look at any sort of the predictions they think it has to be done by Christmas. If you're a studio, it needs to be done probably before then because you won't have content for next year. So if you're making Wednesday season two, you need that to be done asap because if you don't get it like you know the strikes over until Christmas, you're not really getting back onto set with new, like updated scripts with the actors probably until the new year which means the likelihood of you releasing that year as well is going to be tight. So yeah, everything, like your major productions are pushed that far back. And this is like, you know, as you said, like last time kind of the writers were out on the strike, you saw things like, you know, in the States, you'd have that kind of that dodgy season of The Office, that kind of season of Scrubs that was cut really short, you know, like all of these kind of films and shows that were just a bit see, naff was a or you can stuff. tell there's something wrong. And that that's what will happen probably next year is you'll see some stuff like that. But they need to get the strikes over and done with from a studio perspective as soon as possible. But of course, you know, they shouldn't do that if you're the writers and the, the actors until you get the deal they want. Because if they're still trying to get, the studios are still trying to get things like, you know, we're going to take an AI, pic, you know, your face, picture of your face, we'll give you $100 and that's it. We're going to use your likeness for the rest of eternity without paying you. That can't happen.
3: That's insane. Like you, you ha-
2: the, the actors have to kind of win this out same that thing in, with the writers
3: that is insane that they, they they've even suggested to do that i think
2: like, capitalism baby
3: yeah that's what it is
2: instead all the movies next year are going to be those people on live stream getting <laughs> ice creams and tacos and all that shit
3: well you can't use my face so uh, good you. very good <laughs> <So>
2: <laughs>
0: lightning
3: strike
2: no thanks spicy no spicy
0: thanks for the roses Seriously,
2: yeah, I I don't understand what this is. Like, I need someone to kind of actually genuinely explain what's going on.
0: So, essentially, what it is, just everywhere on TikTok. TikTok, Yeah, you when you go on TikTok live, if you have a large enough following basin, you can be donating money similarly to Twitch, so they can give you roses, lightning strikes, all of this stuff. And when you have a certain amount of people watching and giving you certain emotes, you generate income. So, those people who are doing it, it's really funny for us to watch. There's like a Miles Morales one of a guy who just says like across the Spider Verse phrases, and like that blonde girl who's popping popcorn with us, Shapeners. Like, there's all like sorts of ridiculous things that seem so ridiculous to us, and they are. At the same time, I'd like to remind you, these people are making like three to five K an hour. So, yeah, if anybody wants like to see us here,
2: played in full dude, listen,
0: listen, I'm um, listen, I'm involved, I'm um. ready, I'm ready. The four of us can sit here all day, and say thanks for the roses for four hours, and we can oh. buy a house. Like we can That's all buy choice. our own houses. Oh, no,
3: they're, they're, gonna, they're, they're gonna stop that though soon. You know that they're gonna stop. Yeah, that. of course they're good because it's unsustainable.
0: So someone up top is gonna be like, "Oh, these people are making way too much money," which mm. is why we need to get onto Twitch slash TikTok tomorrow, like literally tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> let's all log on yeah and get to it now but um it's good you even talk about TikTok because even in the industry I work on work in so which is music and in TV and all of these other things that have been in and around due to to work reasons it's clear that it's very unsustainable right and I think I'm lucky enough and blessed enough to be in a position where I'm remunerated fairly enough for the things that I do but I can also understand that there is a bottom entry level, which is not paid fairly. I remember being an intern. And I remember going to work for certain publications and for certain labels and I'd get paid basically my transport fee and my lunch up to a certain price. I couldn't even get a fancy lunch. Like if the if the lunch is more than five pounds, they'd be like, no, we didn't make cut out that. And like it was it was tough because I don't come from like a like a particularly wealthy background. so. You know, some people you can just intern and it's fine. It just is what it is. like you'll be supported from from money that you're given from other members of family and things like that. When you don't have that, it makes it a lot tougher and you have to work in different manners to try and upkeep and to bypass these things. But then you find that if you can't support yourself, you're going to miss the the barrier for entry and you're not going to get in that industry anyway. I know a lot of people who've wanted to get into creative fields like directing, production, videography, all of these, whatever they are, photography, whatever it is, lighting. And they felt that they can't give up the job that is bringing them money to go and work something that they might make 50 pound in a week. And the reality is there is a lot of money in all of these things. I remember feeling hard, done, by because there's so many things I've worked on, which I know have made six, seven, eight, nine figures. And at the end of the day, if I walk away with four, it was, it was like, oh shit, I got paid for my time, I got four figures out of that, but in totality, when you work out the work you've done, sometimes you're thinking, wait, hold on, this made, this made eight figures, and I did a lot of this, but I took away on the best day, five, like, there's ways it should be divided, that would be fairer for the people who are involved. And I don't know what that looks like unilaterally, but it is something that has to be discussed. It's something that needs to be looked at. When you look at music and we're streaming, the fact that we don't buy CDs and albums anymore, but we all pay Spotify and that tiny little 1099 is split and divided to literally thousands of artists. Like it's not making sense. Like we just need to find a new and better way. And I don't know what that is right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of like such a kind of an amazing point. And I think that's the problem with currently the current strikes within kind of Hollywood, as well as the fact that the studios are happy to work from old contracts for their actors, but they're approaching media and kind of the way they produce and make and compensate things in a new way. And that's obviously this whole thing about kind of residuals, where it comes from, because studios are still kind of happy to sit and say, nope, residuals are from network TV. And, you know, how much is kind of being streamed on cable, not actually kind of through your kind of like your online streams. And I've always found it extremely kind of shady, especially when you get something like Netflix, say Bird Box has been watched 500 million times in its first four days. Just like, prove it. And there's like, we don't need to prove it because it's it's happened. It's like, of course you need to prove it. And the fact that, you know, there's no, even from just like a standpoint, I'm amazed that there's not just actual kind of regulation or, you know, for reporting figures. Because it's interesting that you can release a movie and everyone knows the box office immediately. They know where it's performing well. And, you know, that that's all trackable it feels like that should be exactly the same for for streaming. You should be able to know exactly how many times that's been viewed. So you understand both as a creator, how popular things are, you know, because similar thing. I I think Anthony Mackie may have said something about it once before as well. He's saying the fact that, you know, you get kind of given a contract that says by your third season, if it's still going strong, this is when you get all your big kind of bonuses, but they will never tell you what the reporting numbers are for season one, season two. So when season three rolls around, they'll just cancel it because they just don't want to pay you. But you never know how successful it is. You just have to assume it's doing okay unless they give out some sort of wildly inflated number. It's sort of like, you know, CJ was talking about wrestling earlier. It's sort of like WWE when they used to say, like, this arena show has got 250,000 yeah. people in and it's 42,000. Yeah, 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 yeah. Entertainment. So you're allowed to say that number because yeah. it doesn't matter.
3: Inflating the numbers. Yeah. That's crazy. That you crazy.
2: know, you know
1: what's so interesting, though? Um, as you guys were like explaining the whole the whole breakdown and approach and understanding from the writers of the shows and what they could be making. Like, um, yeah, it just reminds me of the publishing industry because it's the exact same thing. And as someone that's, I've like, been a writer for a certain amount of years now, like I've definitely got to understand that in a, in a like, contractual sense as well. By the end of it, like um, books could be sold in terms of like, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand units and the writer could, literally make a couple hundred pounds from the revenue depending on the splits and depending on how contracts are all set up so loads of people have gone into like self-publishing in order to make like an honest living out of it because they'll at least make much more of a larger percent but even then self-publishing mostly is done on something like um, the amazon marketplace and with amazon with books Obviously, you're still paying money to like a billionaire, and all of this actually, funny enough, reminds me of the book that I was suggesting to you, Scotty, in the group chat, uh, by uh, Paulo Freire, this Brazilian like education, like educator who wrote a book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, and it's essentially looking at the systems of, the systems of oppression and how oppressed people essentially normally learn techniques from the oppressors and kind of re-pre- re-perpetuate them. And um, it becomes like a cycle of oppression. And even through something like strike action where the oppressed people try to articulate and show the oppressors like why they're oppressed and why like things should be moved around to change the situation that they're in it's like there's a false sense of hospitality and a generosity extended by the oppressor. So in this example, it's like the studios could reach out and be like, hey, okay, here's a deal in order to get you guys paid and this will work out for probably an X amount of years. But then the same problem's is going to happen again. So there probably needs to be more of a revolution of the system itself like creators probably should be looking to make large sums of money probably in a similar way to like um what um what goes on in like the music industry scully like with prs and a breakdown of a song but the
0: the, the problem is capitalism. prs prs is great but the reality mm. of prs isn't actually always great because you have to have a massive song for you to get a good Percentage, right so like prs is good for artists who are established and have lots of music on the radio and going like going forward in that way but if you're not then like what does that actually mean to you like it doesn't mean anything like you might get like four pound prs every three months like it's not sometimes i remember seeing an amazing producer i really like i think it was plastician he said his last prs was like 40 pound they could barely book him a studio session but he's like one of the most iconic UK producers. I think I put my hands up then when you're speaking because this, the problem is the same problem has always been. And it's that the system in itself from the root up is, is capitalism and capitalism is flawed. Capitalism is a system that relies on exploitation and it relies on us selling each other out. Like even right now, a studio could come to the four of us. They could be listening to this podcast and they could think, we need some content. Everyone else is on strike. Let's pluck. Pluck. Russ, Jude, CJ and Scully up to make a show and we're just going to put them on camera and we're going to film them talking about content and we can have all this solidarity with the writers and the actors and then Bob Iger can be like actually I'm going to pay you lot four million a year and then suddenly we're like oh shit you know what that's crazy the strike's mad and we're in the studio now filming, and that's actually what they're relying on. They're relying on all these people you're seeing on TikTok and Twitch do ridiculous things for five k an hour to upscale and say, "Actually, I want to do this stuff on TV." They're relying on the fact that we know, living within capitalism, that we need to make money to survive, and for that reason, we're going to want more resources than the other per- person. So, if I'm honest, I don't see major advancement in any issue until we develop a better system in where there is at least a universal basic floor for people to exist right so people are creating for the for the love of creating because they want to create not because they know that if i go viral on this thing i might make 40 million dollars and i can pay for my my nephew to go to university like we need a different better system that allows people to, to exist without these confines and that's probably the, I, I need to stop there before I get on my, uh, you know, my Malcolm X. Like, but that is the reality and the root of it. Like, as long as we exist within these parameters, the problem will keep arising, in my opinion.
2: Of course. And you, you talk about kind of the whole creativity side of it as well. You know, look at kind of the reports that come out in the UK every kind of few weeks and the fact that the government is going to do more uh, to kind of undermine and eradicate what they see as kind of useless degrees. And that is your more kind of your arts and your humanities and things like that. And you know, I think they kind of listed some of the degrees that they think wanted to get rid of. One of them was creative art and design. And you kind of think actually just because it doesn't fit in with their kind of global agenda and their kind of national agenda for, you know, making money and they see it as frivolous they're going to kind of undermine someone else's kind of aspiration and dream. And, you know, you kind of look to go back to... Do you know what? Can I pause issues. you on a
0: point there? Can I pause you on that point? So to cut in, I think there is more to it than that. I think the reality is that arts are always going to be, ultimately, they're going to value left-wing causes, working class causes, and they make people mm-hmm. think differently. You learn a lot about the world through arts and cultures. And I think the less of it we have, the easier we are to get sucked into this very square box where thinking where it's like, I just need to make money and nothing else matters. And how can I be the best worker or whatever it is today?
2: Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree with you. And I I think if things carry on the way in this country, the way that they are, they will do as much as they can to kind of eradicate those and kind of have you more being able to just conform with what they see as the norm and everyone pushed into it being an accountant or a lawyer or whatever. Um, And on that slightly more depressing note around that, you know, solidarity (laughs) with all the writers and the actors, and hopefully we get to a position where they get the compensation they deserve and that, you know, they're treated fairly. And, you know, hopefully studios kind of, I think, actually take a bit of a hit as well so that they understand that, their view and their approach on the world isn't the be-all and end-all. And actually the way they are currently approaching things isn't going to be the best way for the future. But, you know, we're going to have to wait and see.
3: What, the studios? Anyway, moving on.
0: Shout out to all my strikers, man. I'm I'm with the strikers. Every single day, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I'm backing them. them. (laughs) As long as nearly every cause, every cause, shout me. I'll boost it. I'll post it on my Insta. Let's fucking get it, man. Cool. Anyway, so the other big, big thing revolutionary.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so the other big thing that came out this week, uh that we kind of touched on on our uh, Twitter kind of a little bit, is the Emmy nominations for this year Sorry, oh,
3: keep you, hey,
0: TJ finally putting that soundboard. Tape on his, yeah.
3: <laughs> I keep being late Stop for you. my thoughts. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll get better. And rusty rusty oh, in a while. So
2: I thought what we could do today is we'll go through some of the kind of the core categories, particularly focusing more probably on the kind of the acting side and obviously kind of like the main series side. And we can kind of have a look through some of the nominees, pick our favourites, and also see who we think probably should have been in there. Because I know for a fact that listening last week, Scully, I know shows like Shrinking, you were really into that. You thought that was really good. That, apart from kind of Jason Segel. Harrison Ford did not get a nomination at the Emmys at all. So he's obviously kind of been snubbed.
3: What <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was the reason. So if we go through, I mean, just from the top of your head, I mean, are there any kind of immediate kind of names that popped out straight away that you knew, okay, this person needs to win?
0: I thought the snub that everyone is getting onto, yeah, is
2: Snowfall.
0: Everybody's talking about Snowfall and the final season and Damson Idris's performance. And I think, to be honest, I'm a Snowfall fan. I think it's really good TV. I think it could stand along some of the things that were nominated. But when I look at the things that dominated, not nominated, dominated, Succession, The Bear, White Lotus, I'm not sure if everyone in the Snowfall can stand next to some of those performances. I think maybe Damson just alone. And then the I mean, best- if, you
2: look at, if you look at drama series kind of just in kind of total, so best kind of, uh, well, best drama series nominees were Andor, which I did not see, but I did hear very good things about. Better Call Saul, the final series. Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, Succession, The Crown, The Last of Us, The White Lotus, and The Yellow Jackets. Now I've never seen Snowfall, but I have also heard very good things. But I would also say that it must be impossible for any kind of drama, prestige or not, to kind of go up against some of those names there, particularly Succession, The Last of Us, White Lotus. But of course, all this is stuff that's kind of dominated kind of social media and there's like guys for a few years.
3: Um I have a I was gonna say go no, 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 I was gonna say you're muted. Go. Ahead. Um, I feel like yeah,
0: Better Call Saul is a mad one. Obviously, you know, there's one TV show I've been banging for that none of you have watched yet. You're all snakes. This is why I fucking hate every single one of you, pricks. Severance, I think, is elite. I don't know if it. It might have been last year. Actually, was it not? No, it was. It, it,
2: it was last year, and I have seen it because I've always said to you like that was one of my favorite shows from last year.
0: But was it nominated last year?
2: I think it was nominated last year. I will check.
0: Okay. Because if it wasn't, that's a serious snub. That's a heavy snub, in my opinion. Shrinking, I'm not mad at it. I'm not Uh, sure. It's hard work, man. It's actually hard work.
2: I mean, yeah, last year, Severance got nominated for quite a lot. Drama series, okay, lead actor, uh, supporting cool. actor, supporting actress. Yeah, got nominated quite a lot. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this year, if you kind of look at that kind of drama kind of category, really the three that I think, I mean, I know Better Call All has been very popular and everyone wants to see Bob Odenkirk win at least once. I do think Succession, White Lotus and Last of Us are just going to dominate because they they're just sweeping basically every kind of category you know and i think the joke is you look at those supporting actor categories and it is essentially just succession and white lotus people there is no room for anyone else so like that kind of gives you a good indication of what what's unlikely to win by the end i love
0: white lotus i love the bear i love succession i'm not mad at it i don't feel like anything got snubbed because I feel like people feel like things are snubbed because they don't watch everything. So yeah. your favorite show not being there is going to make you feel like it's a super snub. But when you watch most of the shows, like I said, Succession is not even my favorite TV show ever, but I could never get on here and lie about the acting performances that were paying by the entire cast. Like, I don't think White Lotus is necessarily the greatest Comedy show, comedy drama, satirical show ever, but I do think it's right in this other level that puts it above a lot of things that have been released. Like, I just think that's the reality of it, and we're always going to feel away when our favorites don't
2: make it. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen the one that is yet, that is one of the ones that I constantly hear good things about, so I'm going to have to put it on my list. But, and, we, yeah. and we, we talk a lot about succession, and obviously, we kind of did our kind of full spoilery dive. Uh, a few m- months ago, which people can go back and listen to. Jude, have you finished it yet? Did you get any further?
1: Well, I'm like near the end of season three, but now that it's finished and some crucial things were spoiled for me, uh, the rush isn't there, and I'm fully mm. involved now where, as Kelly was saying, like I'm so appreciative of the acting. I even like had a question about, because there was, I can't lie, probably like early season two, that I was listening to, a, to it a lot, but I might play it on my laptop whilst doing stuff. I wasn't looking at some of the shots, for example. So when I brought it up in a group chat, Scully was like the cinematography, the shots, the way it's directed is very special as well. So when I start to slow down and actually appreciate it for where it was, I've given it that that space where, yeah, it's entered some kind of zone of, some of my top shows ever, actually. So yeah, I'm I'm watching that one from a distance, but every now and then I'll flick on an episode, and yeah, I'm happy with it.
0: Here's a special challenge to you, Juju Yarson. Fuck the ice bucket. If you can finish one TV show in the next <laughs> month, I'll donate ten thousand to the charity of your choice.
1: Yeah, bro. Listen, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle, but yeah, as you know, like we're even discussing this. Like personally, I'm the type of person that. I can watch six, seven things at once and be comfortable doing that because my mind works at fireworks. It's like I'm explaining one thing, another thing pops up and I'm like, ooh, 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 that thing, this thing, that thing. So I'm happy doing that. Like I'm currently watching, it's going to sound crackhead but Succession, I'm up to date on Hijack, Secret Invasion's there. Um, what else? Barry is there, Started the Bear, so these are probably five shows. And then anime is anime, so I don't really list that. But all of those shows, over a week, like probably one episode a day or something, if I can fit, it, fit them in, like, I'm good. Yeah, I can I can enjoy it. But I do hear you. I do need to take up that challenge. And I'll try and finish Succession, let's say, by mid-August. Give me a couple of weeks.
2: That's all right. We can check in mid-August. <laughs> You'll be on four oh one.
3: I mean I you have finished session. So when Jude gets to see this four, that's when I'll start watching it again.
2: Because yeah, CJ, yeah. you were behind as well. Cause you yeah. CJ, you got you basically caught up at one point I, and then just you know, said
3: "Man, nah, Basically, basically I caught up. I saw the big thing in weather, and like I was just like, Yeah, I'll give it room to breathe. I'll let it end. And I just haven't had time to go back. I've been I've been sinking my teeth into grays and that. I mean to be fair.
1: Oh, yeah, fair,
2: fair enough. There we yeah. go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at it kind of like, I think the most interesting thing that's going to come out of the Emmys is who's going to win Best Actor from Succession. Because you would assume it would be someone from Succession. Because it's Brian Cox, Kieran Culkin, and uh, and Jeremy Strong, all in the same category.
3: Although I the hate only thing he does deserve
2: I think the only thing that might happen is that there'll be a three-way split. They won't know who to give it to. So someone like Pedro Pascal might sneak in because you'll get more votes from one area where someone watching Succession will say, I don't know where to go. And it'll get split.
3: Maybe. Um, a big snob as well, actually, speaking of Pedro Pascal, was um, Andy Newton's daughter for guest, a guest appearance or guest thingy in the drama series. Yeah. Remember. Yeah, that's that's true. That, I mean- Who was that? Sandy Newton's daughter. Ah, oh. she was a ama- She was amazing as Sarah in that. I kind of like that they took that for the episode that she was in, but I I, I just thought, why wasn't she nominated? But yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one because I I would say that maybe because it was the the role was too small, but then some of the other people who've kind of been nominated in that kind of guest category they had equally small roles or roles that I don't think were as effective. Like, I really liked Melanie Linsky, but I didn't really like her in Last of Us. I just thought she was a little bit flat, and I know that she, I think she got a nomination for that, so... Yeah, that's
3: Riley, isn't it? Right, right. The character you played, Riley. Yeah.
2: Mm, No, because she was the one who was, no, she was the one who was, like, the kind of the main villain in the city. The lady.
3: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, no, it was that, Yes
2: gets blown up and crushed by the, um, by the blower.
3: blower. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, dead, dead.
2: She but was... no, I mean, La- La- Last of Us is kind of dominating pretty much kind of all those kind of character- uh, categories as well. I think it's going to probably be between kind of those three shows, at least in the drama sense. Matthew McFadden's probably going to pick it up for the succession because I just don't think there's any real competition supporting category for him. I think that has to be a straight win for Tom Wamsgan's.
0: My boy, my boy, Wham's needs to. He needs to collect a couple, couple things. I, I can't lie.
2: I think you'll get it because there's not, as love I said, there's not a lot of competition else. I don't think in that kind of same realm. Um, but then you can, you know, a couple of other shows that we kind of talked about sneaking into the comedy side. And I guess this is where I'm also kind of intrigued. What you guys think around sort of kind of how you would define a certain show? So, like, if you look at kind of uh, comedy category. All the nominees for best comedy: Abbott Elementary, Barry, Jury Duty, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, The Bear, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and Wednesday. Is The Bear a comedy? It has funny moments. It has funny moments, but I'd almost say I it's more say of a drama. A that's funny.
1: Yeah, I I yeah. wouldn't. As someone that just started the show, I wouldn't say I wouldn't have thought it was a comedy. I think there's dark comedy elements. Like it might be something funny, but the next scene is literally picturing tra- trauma. You know, I way. think if
0: it's I think it's less of yeah. a comedy than um than flipping what's it called than well, uh, no. Succession, mm, hundred
2: uh, percent. Apparently, apparently, some of it comes down to kind of like the rules within the um kind of like within the Emmy voting itself. So apparently like if I was reading somewhere saying that like if your TV show is like under 30 minutes on average, like the bear, you can't call it a drama because it's it doesn't have that runtime. Likewise, if you have a show like White Letters of Succession that most people might say is a black comedy, because it's a longer runtime, it has to then go into a drama because it's it doesn't meet the threshold. Which I don't know how much truth there is to that, but if it is true, it would kind of make sense because yeah, because I think the bear kind of walks that line very fine, you know.
0: That's a crazy rule. I'm going to try and make the most harrowing program ever, but 22 minute episodes. Barry, and then, and that's, then that's Barry. Else. No, because Barry has too many comedic omni- omni- om- moments that you can get away with calling it a comedy. I'm going to yeah. make a show that is six episodes of 22 minutes of straight pain. And submit it for the Emmys and see how they try and tell it into a comedy. Six like episodes. Like, like I, I right. want it to be, I want it to be disco I want it, people to cry every time it comes on TV. And That's then I want to see them classify it as a comedy.
1: Your writers you're right aren't gonna get paid, bro. Six six episodes. How much are you gonna get get £24?
0: What do you mean? I'm not gonna pay them like Bob Iger. I don't work for Disney.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to get paid bro the residual is not going to look nice Scully's part of the problem that's not
0: how that's that's literally that's literally not how it works
1: part of the problem let's, let's just that's, put it put it down to that's not
0: that, right? how it works i don't it's think you. Bad. i don't think you listened to anything we said earlier that's that's <laughs> not how
1: it works i wanted to say one thing though this is a contro controversial take i was going to say as you listed those those programs i i loved Ted Lasso I honestly don't think it's that funny. You get what I mean? I find it more dramatic than anything. I don't... Even the, the funny moments, I laugh at it in a sweet way. It's not like laugh out loud funny that I need to share this scene. The best scenes aren't even the funniest scenes. They're the scenes that really stick out in a telling of character and a are basically coaching of personality. So... I wouldn't want that to to win in that category because I definitely think like Abbott Elementary is probably the funniest out of all of those shows. It's got like scene after scene which could be considered actually comedic, and it doesn't need like the dark comedy elements to contrast it in order to get you to feel the whole range of emotion. It just does its thing as a as a comedy, and yeah, it has so many other elements too. But comedy is probably one of its strongest.
2: Ted Lasso also kind of strikes me as that show that, and maybe this is controversial, maybe you guys would disagree, but I think season one dominated kind of everything in the Emmys that year. But I think, because I kind of vaguely remember like Ted Lasso series one was like lockdown. You know, like this was, everyone was miserable. This was just a mm. show that was just basically, it's about positivity. It's about everything just kind of being nice. And I think people were in that state of mind where they're like, I think we need this right now. And everyone latched onto it and they're like, yes. So I remember watching that first series and thinking, this is a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And this is really nice. I haven't watched any more of it. Didn't watch season two, haven't seen season three, because I just didn't need to. Just didn't. I just thought, I get it. I completely understand that. And I just never really understood then the hype that kind of came out after it. And especially like, for this series, because I know that a lot of the kind of reaction was quite mixed for this one. So actually, you know, should it even be kind of here this year? You know, is it kind of one of those ones that I'm also think, looking at things like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, never seen it. You know, my stepdad had seen it and said it was amazing. But that's also feels like one of those shows that just for its longevity, it's just there every year just because people don't know what else to vote for. It's just going to, it's always going to be there just in the amongst the nominees. It probably won't p- pick anything else up now. But I think, yeah, I think Abbott Elementary is really good. I think that's probably the most consistently funny out of everything that's on here now. Only Murders in the Building, I think, is really good as well. Barry series four was mixed for me. I think by the end, I'm not. I don't. You know, I would love to see Anthony Harrigan win supporting actor because I think Noho Hank needs to have one Emmy before it's all said and done. Because I just don't see how you can have that character and never win that. I hear he has it. Has to. It
0: has to. I hear it. It's making sense.
2: That's my one kind of like big shout, I think kind of for like this year that kind of has to come through. He has to come through and win that.
0: There's a lot, there's a lot going on at Emmys and someone is ultimately always going to feel hard done by. I think there's just strength as of much of a cop out as it seems. There is a lot of strength in just being nominated because it is hard to stand alongside all of these great shows and actors and all of this, but um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting.
2: It's awards, I think that's just award ceremonies in general, isn't it? Like it's always going to be tricky. You're, you're always going to have people in there who probably shouldn't be or stuff that you think probably isn't as deserving, um, but then kind of like sneaks its way in. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast, isn't it? It'd be interesting to see kind of who picks up on this at the end of the day. Um, another show that we did that kind of has been nominated quite a lot is Beef. That's kind of dominating through kind of mm. limited series and anthology. So that'd be interesting to see if that kind of gets anywhere. But I think that actually might run into quite a bit of trouble because of Dharma, and I've never seen Dharma. Did anyone watch that one?
0: No, I did not.
3: I watched ten minutes and felt uncomfortable. So no,
0: it's not my it's not my style, is it?
3: Yeah, no. you know what it is. I, I, the reason why I felt uncomfortable. Let me just put it out there before anyone thinks I'm something I'm not. Um, was because I just really stray away now from watching things about like black trauma i really stray away from it um Mm. the central part five show was like the catalyst made me feel really uncomfortable and like when i was watching it i was with someone at the time and i was like why are we like why am i watching this like i don't need to see black people suffer i don't need that Mm. that's why i don't really i don't watch slave films i don't watch order i don't do that I'm not I've not
0: watched. It. I've not watched Central Park 12 Years a Slave. I've not.
3: Yeah, I've not Twelve Years a watched Slave. Anything like that. I, I don't really. I'm not really into it, still. I don't I feel I don't like
0: if I, if I watch them, I'll probably punch you up, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: my god! Yeah, no. I. I mean, you know
0: what I mean? I the last time, the last time I watched a film like that, I went to watch The Butler with my mum. Yeah. Whoa! Are you
3: gonna say something mad? Are you gonna say? Are you gonna say? A to watch to
0: the man, Butler with my mum. Yeah. yeah. And we were leaving the cinema and an older white couple like smiled at us and was like, so what did you think of the film? And I was so angry. I was like, what the fuck? Why are you asking us what you think of the film? What do you think of the fucking film? Hmm? How so, do you fucking yeah. like, I was so mad. Like, I literally wanted to knock this old man out. And I said, I'm not, I don't need to watch. It just so gets me angry.
1: You yeah. um, know? I, I hear him. But yeah, like, I'm, I actually, I watched the select range of these films because some of them have a cause. So for example, a good several months ago, I had the opportunity to watch Till. Um yes, I wanted to watch that. And I I don't think I felt that way in the cinema seat before, like ever in my life. I never I moved around so much, I wanted to leave. It was so uncomfortable. But even after the film, I felt like I couldn't I couldn't move until after the credits had finished. But even then Credits are cut half the wet halfway because it was a Q and A, and we got to essentially meet and speak to one of the ancestors of Emmett Till in Deborah Watts, and so she's like a distant relative of Emmett Till, and it's like their family literally fought and campaigned for the justice until the death of the the lady that accused him of everything and. It was like they put out this film in order to basically reignite the story and show that there's still a fight there that's happening in like Mississippi in terms of like laws and kind of going back to these cases and correcting these these wrongs and trying to make like a right from it. Essentially, trying to find justice. And so when she gave that message, it kind of reinforced why I had to watch that film because now I can go anywhere and explain that, yeah, this fight is actually still going on. And they thought it was necessary to like bring that film to the UK, especially in in um, light of like the recent things that have been happening with like Black Lives Matter here and the incidents that we've had with racism in, in general too. So, yeah, there is some good work, but it's so rare and it's such a small percentage of these films that I hear you and I'm with you guys, I don't try to
3: watch those films yeah beautiful beautiful um yeah so i I can't remember how we got here dharma
2: dharma dharma
3: fuck dharma Dharma. fuck jeffrey dharma
2: and fuck ryan murphy who's uh who does it, he did all American Horror Story and he, now he's doing these American monster stories and he's doing all these different serial killers and he's also a, See, for me, a that's one, that's the
1: one it. that doesn't have any creativity because all the ideas in the world that you can literally generate from nothing, even if we were going to make a, step, a story like that how many stories have been made when the character's just been made up, they've been fictional they've been inspired by real life events but they haven't picked up these real life events, triggering the families of these victims but it doesn't it doesn't make sense and netflix i feel like if they get netflix, some, they get some
3: like, hard when, when they hear when they hear a Trump story tramps hate
1: them it's disgusting like they need to they need to scrap that model but i feel like if they do and they stopped preying on those ideas they're going to lose a big part of their yeah. market that someone else is going to be willing to pick up immediately Hundred percent, and I
3: think what Netflix does so well, although I don't watch um like the like the trauma, the trauma stuff, like I I do watch a bit of Netflix shows where it's come under like those document those docu kind of series. Um, one of them that I really felt uncomfortable with, but I couldn't stop watching, was Don't Fuck with Cats. Um, and when I was watching that, I was like, these man are just so sick at doing this. Like it's just it's just so good. And um, there was another one um, where the guy, the guy killed like his daughters and he put them in a the well, or something like that. And then so, I can't remember, I can't remember what it was called. But it was like he, he he took his family.
2: Oh yeah, okay, I remember. I know which one it was. It's like um, the daughters in a like well. Something about the neighbor. Yeah, neighbor. yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Neighbor,
3: yeah. And like even that one, like I felt very uncomfortable watching it, but. Bro, when I, when I mean these men, know what they're doing when it comes to them shows, and it, um, I think,
2: I think, so kind of, of,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: to come to so something like your points, I think, like, I think one of the interesting things about it is, first of all, Jude, you're right, the fact that true crime is now such a massive market that you can't just say no. Like, you'll have to kind of wait for it to become so oversaturated that people aren't interested anymore. But I just don't know if and when that would happen. Um, And I think, like, when you kind of look at those sort of stories, I do think there is still, like, a potential benefit and a kind of, like, a human interest in, like, the documentary side of it, which is why I think something like Making a Murderer and, you know, stuff like that was probably so massive when it kind of first came out because, you know, people connect to it and it's true and it's real and it's... Sort of like people are, are learning, and you kind of like educating yourself on something, even if it is completely morbid. I think it's then when you start to dramatize it, sort of stuff with like with Dharma. You know, I think there's probably enough documentaries and actual kind of something that's more kind of factual and insightful and respectful for families that you can kind of delve into rather than having to have like a 10 part mini series that kind of brings up all the kind of like trauma and violence from the past. Same thing, like I never watched, um, what was it? Is it When They See Us for the Central Park Five? I remember watching a Central Five uh, Park Five documentary kind of like probably a decade ago. And that was really kind of powerful and interesting. But I just didn't necessarily feel the need to watch the miniseries because I'd kind of learnt from the story from, you know, the guys themselves and actually kind of hearing the facts of the case rather than seeing it dramatised. And I still think that there might be a benefit for that because you might be able to have kind of, I guess, lesser known cases that get dramatized and get more light put on them. But, you know, I do think that that kind of market of, especially like the fact that it's now going to be like a monster series. Here's all these different serial killers and we're going to make fictionalized versions of their lives for your entertainment. I don't know. I feel like there's something wrong with that.
0: I think... Human beings always have a grim fascination with life and death. Like, as a society, we're obsessed with our own mortality. And I think it's a car crash theory, right? That when a car crash is happening, people look because they can't fit, like face turning away, even though they know what's going to happen is going to disgust them. And it's like, we are genuinely like that as people. We, we want to see all these things. I think with true crime, people find it calming because they're like, oh, my life isn't that bad. I didn't get hacked into 19 pieces. But it's like, we're not aware of how this is desensitizing us and the effect it's having on us in many other ways. I need to stop talking before we get into talking about like how the world has ended and you know the habits that we have as people are gonna finish us all. <laughs> like that'll be my third third monologue of of the EP, and it's actually been an hour and five minutes. So yeah, just stop listening to true, true crime podcasts. Listen to like news podcasts if you want to hear some true crime. And,
1: uh, yeah. Oh you know what I was gonna say though. Sorry, sorry TJ. I just wanted to add to Sally's point that all this period it kind of reminds me of the aura of Crime Watch, but extended onto the world, like in a genre that has been taken by by Netflix predominantly, and been like, Okay, cool, we're gonna invest in every story that we hear about that normal everyday people confine themselves in and we're going to just make a market of it and it's like remember growing up with like crime Watch, It's like everyone was tuned into it and we knew of a general spread of cases that scared us shitless like we were what I for one was definitely like fearful I remember there'll be some episodes it might be something like a um, woman's been kidnapped or Assaulted in the park, and that used to have me frightened when it would get like dark early, you know, afternoon, and, and like my parents or my sisters not back. Like this kind of fear mongering used to just create like such a an idea and way of seeing stuff that you just can't not think that way. And I think that's it, it's also very telling that we leave studios and companies to create ideas or to invest in things but we don't get to like study the human impact of it like what are the social ramifications of all of these ideas and what's it doing to our brains like why is there such a massive market for true crime and and all of this stuff is it just like normal human nature to be interested in this or is it something bigger that's playing into our fears that makes us want to just know know and yeah it can constantly invest in quite negative content i don't see apart from learning of the the original cases, is, as Ross was saying, with documentation. I don't see the necessity in
2: constantly investing in these ideas. It's exhausting. Unless it's sort of like to your point that you people get a thrill and a rush from it. That's the reason why horror as a genre is so popular um, because people can go into horror movies and feel uncomfortable, but they come out with that kind of like adrenaline rush of being scared and kind of almost being uncomfortable and they, you know, they kind of say like you're, you feel alive because you've watched something that you kind of sat the whole way through and shut yourself through. But this, this is maybe just like that turned up another level.
3: This is why I say people who watch horror films are the psychopaths of the world or people that like them. God forbid. They like You don't me. like horror? I do not watch horror films. I watched Insidious 2 in cinemas when I was 15 with my friends. I said, nope, this is not for me.
2: Is that Was that the last horror film you saw?
3: um yeah like genuine like base like genuinely like first film horror like um but for prime primarily horror like don't get me wrong i've watched films with horror elements in them um yeah, yeah like no i don't watch horror films at all i used to put boys in the hood was a horror the way the way
0: like you sound show. you sound bitch made <laughs>
1: No, but you know what? You, I was I'm trying, to get, I'm trying I, to get my head off. I,
0: I
3: need
1: to go I, a bit, but yeah. I, no. I um, agree with you though there, CJ. Like, it's funny that you say that because the one film I think of when it comes to horror aspects is the best example for me is Gout. Like, Gout is obviously like, a, again, probably like a dark comedy slash thriller, but it has so many horror aspects to it in terms of the way it's filmed, the way it builds up like dialogue, even at times like with the the soundtrack and how it's builds up like the aspects of fear within the certain moments of the film. But like, it's actually mad interesting that you say Boys in the Hood felt like a horror to you because growing up as like a young black person and acknowledging all of those ideas, those ideas are built up to, be, to feel quite horrific. And that's why I feel like um, Singleton's direction on it was so, powerful because he basically showed you like yeah these elements build up to be a genuine fear in these young men's lives and we need to acknowledge it on a wider scale and then you apply it to society it's a film that can constantly teach you about that type of livelihood almost worldwide
3: It's taught your shit dude now listen that's mad though because what i was gonna say you know the guy with the shotgun when he when he, you know you know when he comes out the window with the red hat with the, with the red hat and he's like this mm-hmm. honest to God like that that picture that image when I was about seven or eight used to frighten me like I don't know why I was watching boys in the hood at seven or eight but yeah um thanks Chris my older brother used to make watch it but that that image used to frighten me and then even when um the boy and the man get the boys at the end when they're eating the um when they're eating the McDonald's and like they it, like, the music and stuff. Like, it just used to horrify me. Like, genuinely, used to scare me, which is mad.
2: That's I crazy. think for the next short straw, CJ's watching a horror movie.
3: <laughs> I'll tell you for free.
2: Talk oh, to me, he's coming out. Talk to oh, me, he's coming oh, out. Oh, We're oh, going to have oh, to do it. Oh, oh, I didn't, I I didn't, oh, define, like, the genre oh, that oh, oh, no,
3: no, no. Please, please, please. I didn't sit through six hours of The Citadel to not speak about it.
2: Oh, shit. Actually, yeah, oh, we should. Yeah. I think we should probably we do that now. That, I yeah. mean, Emmy's, oh. Emmy's talk wrapped up. Let's get into this.
3: Fucking hell, guys! My God, listen. Oh my God, the Citadel. Oh my God, I don't know his name. He's the guy who plays the. He's the guy who's in the bodyguard.
2: Richard Caress. Madden.
3: Icarus in fucking inhumans. Oh, stop taking these shit jobs, bro! Like you took the bodyguard, and that was good. Like start taking these shit fucking jobs the Citadel, down honest to god like when series 2 comes out i'm definitely not watching it like i'm definitely not watching it i was sending <laughs> i was sending um you guys snippets of how bad it was like the video of him when he's like snowboarding down the fucking mountain and he kicked them um and like e he he 360 would and shot someone I was, um, I sent you another one of the, the la- I forgot the fucking names now, I tried to, like, because it's been so long I forgot what half of the, half goes on, um, the lady pulls the knife out of someone's neck and then she, like, kicks it into someone else <laughs> fuck me, it's basically adult Spy Kids, like
2: What's the actual uh, synopsis? Like, what is the show about? Like, if you have to just quickly kids, say, by here's by the way. plot
3: So, Richard Madden and this lady are on a mission and at the start They essentially are on a train. Um, Train gets blown up and then Richard Madden uh, gets um, amnesia. So when he gets amnesia, he starts a new, like fast forward eight years into the future. That's another thing that pisses me off. You never know if it's in the present day or it's in the past. It doesn't, like, you know how you, you like be able to tell from like color grading or like little things like that. Genuinely. You can't, like, sometimes, like, I'm like, okay, where are we? Like, what are we in? <laughs> What's going on now? Um, yeah. So then he starts his new life after he gets amnesia. Um, but he wakes up and, obviously, he's got his fake name. Can't remember what the fake, fucking fake name is either. Um, and then, eight years down the line, he's got a new wife. He's got a child that's, uh, like, seven. So we didn't wait for too fucking long to start.
2: Eight set. years.
3: 8 years in the future it, i think it was 8 years or 10 years it was one of them 8 years into the future um and then yeah uh the citadel is be- the citadel is essentially like a hidden spy group that's across the world um they have loads of different uh like loads of different spies working for them etc um and yeah one of the citadel there, there was a mole in the citadel and one of the people who's um Madden's best friend comes to get him and his family and then like he like he's like i don't know what you're on about i've never done any of this in my life and he throws a knife at him and Richard Madden catches it and he's like how do you think you did that and then he's like take this adrenaline and you'll remember everything so why the fuck did you track him down years ago and fucking give him this like i don't get like he's so fucking stupid um then they meet the woman the women's also got amnesia. They get the adrenaline. Then they start... To, everyone's got amnesia. They start to be in this fucking love story. Comes uh, out South
0: London in 2014.
3: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It sounds like <laughs>
2: Matrix Resurrection more than
3: anything. And then worst part of it is... The worst part of it is <laughs> the, the, the like antagonist of the whole show turns out to like some English woman. And she's, like, holding uh, Madden's friend hostage in XYZ. And it turns out it's his mother.
2: Spoiler like, alert. It's... You didn't do your spoiler oh, alert.
3: Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, I told you I missed my cues. Um, you
2: fixed that in post.
3: We, we, you know what? We should have done this from the start. I can't hear you. I can't hear you, it's.
2: So How easy. could
0: you miss your own cue?
2: I, know, I can't I know. believe he hugged it up at the very start of the show. Like, oh, of course, the spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Drops the biggest spoiler of the show. Oh, yeah, no, hang well, on. Yeah, was... well,
3: you know, honest to God, do not watch it. It's adult Spy Kids. If anyone's ever watched Spy Kids. Respect Spy Kids. What? Respect Spy Kids. Yeah. No. But like... that, that video
0: you sent of them doing this the ski 360 flippy shot. I've never seen no shit like that in Spy Kids. Yeah. They would they wouldn't
3: do that in Spy Kids. You know what though? The good thing is I think it was shot really well. Um, you can tell there was budget behind it. And uh, to be honest, although it did piss me off, I think the choreography was good. Like it like in most parts, like some of the fight scenes, I was like, okay, that makes sense. But the story was just god awful, man. Like, oh, absolute shit.
2: Would you rather? Like,
3: And it's like and it's like why why have you become a spy and now you're a superhuman? Like I don't get it. Like I hate things like that. Like, no, fuck off. Go on, Ross. Carry on.
2: Would you rather rewatch The Citadel or watch Citadel season two or watch the idol?
3: Oh. Do I hear popular in the idol?
2: I guess so. No I, I, honestly I've I've tuned it out. I've managed to forget oh, about okay. it. I've well, managed to if, push it all out of my brain.
3: If there's like a scene of like the weekend in like the booth and he's like singing, I mean can you see it? If he's doing all that. Oh no, like,
2: he no, right. he will not be singing. It will probably be like there's a, there's a scene and that song's playing over the top of it.
3: Oh, okay. Well, then and uh, he's
2: probably talking about how his dick's I, or something like I that.
3: I'd watch the Citadel season two. Because I don't want to watch Citadel Season one again. But yeah, um, quickly, Jude. Like what you said, everyone lists their least favorite film dramas, so mine's horror.
1: Bam. Mm. I might mine might be horror as well, you know.
3: Horror. Okay. What's your
1: I don't know why I did this. Mm. I think Scully doesn't have one.
3: Mine's horror. I'd, be...
1: I'd say he actually... likes to see the good thing, and I hate.
3: Nah, do you
0: know i don't i don't particularly like horrors but i'm looking for an answer that's not horror but the thing is i'll watch a horror if it's super critically acclaimed like if something's coming out like insidious or something and everyone's like this is the horror then i'll go and see it because i want to know what people are raving about but i don't it's not the, it's not a film genre i necessarily run to yeah, yeah. i'd also say what's a genre i'm not really feeling Period dramas. I hate period dramas. I hate period dramas. Hate Mm -hmm. period dramas.
1: Because I'm just
0: thinking, where the fuck are the black people? And I know the answer to that. that. I know the answer to that question. But I want you to tell me now on screen. (laughs) I want you as an actor to look into the camera and say, isn't it great that we're here in 1822 and there's zero black people around in this lovely fancy house that we have? Tell me
3: why, Jane Austen. What's going on? No you know shit. what? In them films, in them films yeah. you never see them cooking, but you always see them eating. Who's cooking the food? Always. Who's always. cooking,
0: Who's cooking fucking, the food? When the world was obsessed with Downton Abbey, yeah, I was like, you people make me fucking sick. Yeah? Oh. When they were in Downton Abbey, do you know
3: where my people were? In
1: the <laughs> down, <laughs> no. down,
2: in the,
3: down in the cellar. I we yeah. I, I love how Roxy is just saying so quiet.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I know uh, Ross oh, loves
0: a good period
3: drama.
2: Out. Oh, that's my favorite <laughs> genre of movie. Uh, yeah, was your
1: worst though? What
2: is the one you hate the most? I mean, I I think I'm in the same boat as Scully in in the sense that, like, I think if any movies kind of like got a claim or it's meant like it's good, I'll enjoy it. I would say perhaps the lowest hit rate. The ones that I think I probably just, I think, fall flat the most. Probably, th- I'm going to say romantic comedy. Because I love a good romantic comedy, but I think most of them are fucking terrible.
3: Ah, oh, the Fault in Our Stars oh, and them shit,
2: Agreement.
0: Hey, 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 in not in too much on
3: my boys. <laughs> <laughs> fault in Our Stars was all right No, that's record. actually, no, nah, that's a great film. No. a great film. I great I better, man,
1: better, man. actually, because see, comedy, remember there was a whole period of, but... Probably five years, Scully. I was just not on comedy films when... Yeah, Jude hates like comedy he's, ago, a, he's a real and, uh,
0: fucking hater. He's the I hater know. that he tries to paint me to be.
3: <laughs>
1: no,
2: no, J- no, sorry. Jude's just trying to get out of watching a horror movie. He realises... No, he's no, no, he's no, no, no.
0: I promise you, I promise you, this guy hates comedy films. He's a fucking... I,
1: I, 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 I hear him, Jude. I hear you because... I don't want to oh, laugh. I don't want to... Yeah, make me laugh, but I'm not trying to be like, oh, I need to laugh. Let me put on something that'll make me laugh. Like, I don't want yeah, I hear it. Do you don't understand, Do you understand how yeah. tapped that makes you? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll be so I, It's so weird. I don't know what is wrong with me. But Why would wanna...
0: you not want to see something positive in your life?
3: No, Jude, I hear you. I, I understand. Um, you, can't... you can't say that this
1: episode. You, you can't say that this episode. I you. hate
0: you guys, though. It's not the rest of the world that I have a problem with. I actually express love to our listeners.
1: So, I mean, C's are good and everything. So I don't,
2: like I don't know. Wait, So, explain it again. So, June, why are you anti-comedy?
1: I, you know what it is? I think, like you said about rom-coms, I feel like a lot of comedies, they're not funny. Don't sell me a product that is, oh, like, it's supposed to be a super funny idea if the actors aren't, like, really good comedians who can sell that idea so there's very good comedy yeah, okay. that you've. Never yeah, there, seen. there are these. There's really good, but then again, there was a period I think around like 2012, 13, 14. Netflix with the in the same way you had the obsession with like the murder films and mysteries and stuff. Had the obsession with like comedy films and very poor ones at that. You know what I mean? Like, so you'll get loads of. Netflix films like back in the day you're searching, like, oh, this is a comedy film which just came out. It's got some familiar faces in it. Go and check IMDB, and it's like rated four, rated five. And it's like, bro, what where is this film trying to go? Is it because back in the day that's a straight to DVD film, but now it's a straight to streaming film. So all streaming websites have a have categories of just poor comedy films. Comedy films that will get slapped on at your friend's house who doesn't know how to navigate Netflix. He just looks at you and says, oh, that's funny, puts it on and talks halfway through the film. You know what I mean? Like, so that's my biggest... That's, that's why I don't like him. Oh, it gives me anxiety.
2: I'll tell you one of the things with comedy, though, actually, as well, is sometimes when you see it in a cinema... And you're on a different wavelength than someone else and I'm specifically talking more about the fact that you watch watching something that you think is funny but no one else in the cinema does and then you're just sat that's there laughing you and Darth you realise you're very just on your own and that's happened to me before I think you, it was like you went to see
0: the whale and you laughed when he was going about his trauma <laughs> about trying to eat himself to death
2: Wait, wait. I did not laugh. Hang oh. On. Oh, Why are you laughing now? Oh, oh, Why are you laughing, oh, Alan? Oh no! I laughed at the end <laughs> where he stands up and he does the walk, and then he does the little look up to heaven,
3: <sighs>
2: like that. Because that noise, I thought, was like, <laughs> like you go back and watch that clip. That is hilarious. Like the fact that they thought, "What should we do?" Like in this like sad, tender moment, just have him go. <sighs> <laughs> he flies up to heaven. No, that, that was funny to me. You also, know, I mean, he was not going
0: know. to heaven because, first of all, he he's going to hell.
2: <laughs> that is. Such he, a, he
1: didn't even
0: believe in a... God. Like yeah. he specifically did renounce God to yeah. be to be a, a full time hater of religion. Like he was not going to heaven. Let's just have it right. Oh, yeah? you, you Very up. specific.
1: You should have just looked forward and just went you straight like, into the speed force or something. Just like, <laughs> like, evaporate yeah, that's what he was. He was trying to go.
0: But yeah, I I think all of you laugh inappropriately
3: at things that are not that are not funny. I do. In Listen, I, I need to go anyway because um it's late and I've got things to
1: do. Yeah, I do. But I think we should do the short straws next week because yeah, this week. Yeah, let's yeah. pick
3: a whack film. This week I'm watching Christopher Nolan
1: films anyway, so yeah.
0: I'm gonna find the lowest rated comedy on Netflix and. We're gonna do the short straw for it, or maybe Amazon Prime even. Like that's I'm something. talking like one star out of five. Oh, oh my! There's gotta be something.
2: New, there'll be something new that's just come out that we can do. Right. Yeah, okay. otherwise,
3: I'm gonna watch all Christopher Nolan films this week because we're cripping all the. Well, I'm I'm cripping all the way to Carby. because You can't say me' I'm a crip.
1: Yeah, I should watch the. When Barbie. did you
3: become a crip? I'm a Crip, bro. Yeah, <laughs> to be fair, I'm a Blood. I'm yeah, a guys, blood. I've got. Uh... I'm actually a Crip. So my, my my name my name is Bortney. I can't I can't say C's in it. So, but so I should really be I can't but I can't do a Barbie with my a B with my hand. I'm a Bloodster. I, I
0: like red. I'm a I'm a Crip though, so I can't do that. I'm Scully with capital C. All right. Well, on that note. <laughs> See
3: you
0: All right.
3: Right. He's going to no. miss his
2: train.
3: Oh, guys, we're all going to finally meet because I've never met Russ. I don't know if Jude has. Um, we're going to all watch Barbie and Oppenheimer together. So that's going to be great. We're going to take, a, we're going to take, a, group, take a group picture. And if we don't get one, blame Scully. It's
2: be cool. Blame Scully.
0: Right. Well, I'm doing my deal lingo before it hits midnight. Uh, so, yeah. See you guys next week. All right, see you see guys. Barbenheimer.
3: See you Sunday. On oh, here goes. Sports, social, podcast network.